Hey 4-H'ers, and thank you for joining us for our 4-H Ontario podcast. I'm Sheena, the Communications Manager at 4-H Ontario. And I'm Emma, the Communications Assistant. And you are now listening to For Your Information, the first ever 4-H Ontario podcast. Where you get an FYI for all things 4-H Ontario. Welcome back to another FYI podcast. In 2020, Participation released the Participation Report Card on Physical Activity for Children and Youth, which is the most comprehensive assessment of child and youth physical activity in Canada. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Lee Vanderloo. The studies show that youth are more sedentary than ever because of their widespread availability of social networking, not to mention COVID-19 shutting down extracurriculars. Dr. Vanderloo is the Knowledge Translation Manager at Participation and has a PhD in Health Promotion. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lee. We're so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me. For those of our listeners who maybe didn't grow up with Hal and Joanne as a part of Participation, <laughs> uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about the organization and your role there. Yeah, happy to. Um, so Participation is a national nonprofit organization in Canada, and our main mandate or mission is really to help all Canadians move more and engage in less sedentary behaviors. So we're really trying to look at different ways to um, encourage additional movements. How do we modify the environment or supports to help make the healthy choice the easy choice, um, whether that wor be working with um, the education system, uh, different levels of government, um, or even just with the media, really just to get the message out um, and to help make physical activity a vital part of all Canadians' day-to-day -day lives. Um, in terms of my role specifically, um, I do serve as the knowledge translation manager within the organization. And really that's just a fancy way of saying that I serve as the organization's subject matter expert. So all things physical activity and sedentary behaviors, um, as well as my job is to really ensure that keeping my finger on the pulse on what is the best available and current evidence that's out there with regards to movement behaviors and ensuring that the, this information gets shared um, with Canadians and also is delivered or packaged in a way that's really easy to understand. So uh, for some of the listeners, you, you know, especially if we think about COVID, there's a lot of technical jargon that's going out around there. Um, some, you know, medical reports or publications within peer-reviewed journals, and sometimes that can create issues in terms of accessing that information or even just really understanding. So what is the evidence telling us? Um, and so my job is really to work with our marketing and communication experts within the teams and other scientists from across the country to really ensure that everything that we're putting forward from our, you know, daily blogs or social media messaging to even to some of our larger projects, initiatives, campaigns, and even our, our new app is to really ensure that everything we're doing is evidence-backed, evidence-informed, and that we're getting the key, that key information into the hands of the individuals that are best able to do something with it. Um, and oftentimes that ends up being um, just the Canadians. Yeah, I think that uh, that miscommunication factor is really key, especially right now when there is so much information floating around that we just have to make sure that it's the right information people are hearing. Absolutely. It does make it hard to to navigate all the information that's coming out and especially with um, 
so much information just being so easily accessible at our fingertips, like just a couple strikes on a keyboard. And we're just able to download so much information from so many different sources um, that we're hoping that we can kind of remove one of those steps, serve as that intermediary and help kind of parse through that information um, and help, you know, help Canadians better understand. So what is the evidence telling us? Um, what steps can I be taking to engage in the healthiest uh, behaviors possible with regards to physical activity and sedentary behaviors? as well as sleep um, and what gaps still don't we know. And I think, you know, being able to work so closely with um, the general Canadian public, as well as a number of key stakeholders, um, as I mentioned, be it government, media, um, other institutions like education or healthcare, uh, really also helps us figure out, so what do people need and what do they want and how can we help um, address those gaps or help fill those gaps? And I think it's such an important role and participation has such a strong reputation for being sort of a reputable source for those things. So um, that's really exciting to hear that you've kind of positioned yourself in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it fell nicely, um, you know, in terms of timing, I was just wrapping up my PhD um, in pediatric exercise science um, and really looking at ways that, um, you know, one, how can I continue advancing, you know, my knowledge and the research that I do in this field, but also not losing sight of, well, who's going to use this evidence? Some all too often when we end up publishing stuff um, or, you know, medical trials go in, it ends up just staying kind of with the same people that have the most interest with it from a scientific or clinical perspective. And so we often forget that, you know, those that might also benefit from that information um, aren't really getting access to it, whether it's, um, you know, an understanding, whether it's financially, it can be really expensive to access those journals um, and if you don't have a membership to them. Um, so it really does kind of create an issue with regards to accessibility and it's not really serving those other groups well if they can't use that information to create their programming or their lesson plans um, or even, you know, how they, they practice or how they interact with patients or um other participants. And so it's really, I think, an important role. And I think it just happened to be perfect timing when I was wrapping up my schooling to be able to, um, you know, kind of transfer into this really unique position. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I know that 39% of five to 17 year olds in Canada meet the physical activity recommendation within Canada, 24 hour movement guidelines for youth um, and children. That translates to about 46% of 5 to 11-year-olds and 30% of 12 to 17-year-olds. So I just wanted to kind of get your take on that statistic. I know a lot of people might look at that and obviously you can see it glass half full or you could see it glass half empty. So I was just curious as to what you thought of those statistics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, 39% um, to me kind of indicates that, you know, about close just over 60% of children and youth in Canada are missing out on all the benefits that come with getting active and living an active life. And, you know, we oftentimes think of the benefits of physical activity or we kind of limit them to really like the physical benefits. Um, so, you know, stronger bones, heart, lungs, muscles, um, you know, healthy body weight promotion and management, but we oftentimes miss the fact that getting active really pays a huge role in our cognitive health. So how we think and learn, as well as our mental health. And I think, you know, particularly now with the pandemic and a lot of us feeling, um, you know, our mental health might be 
deteriorating a little bit. We have this sense of languishing and particularly we, with students with these different types of transitions um, or I should say children and youth in general um, and having these loss of opportunities to socialize with their friends or get outdoors. This is really a great um, you know, point of intervention in terms of why spending time outdoors and getting active can really help support mental wellness overall. Um, so if we look at the physical activity alone, it is 39%. Um, that works out to if we break it up to like school aged versus, you know, teens, we see that about 46% of the five to 11 year olds are meeting the guidelines and only 30% of 12 to 17 year olds. So that's not surprising in that we typically see levels of physical activity decrease as we age. And that's also another reason why we want to really focus on um, the younger generations, because the, if we're able to help give them the foundations um, to get interested in physical activity, to find joy in an activity, regardless of what it is, um, and start to reap those benefits, the more likely they are to continue those behaviors as they move throughout the lifespan. And that's really key. Um, of course, you know, if we combine, you know, not just the physical activity, but the physical activity with the screen use and sleep. So looking at all three of those behaviors together, we see that only 15% of children and youth were meeting those 24 hour movement guidelines. Um, and that was pre pandemic. As soon as COVID-19 hit, those numbers actually went from 15 to about 2.8%. So that was a pretty drastic decrease. Um, they weren't doing that great to begin with when we think of all three behaviors together. Um, and of course those worsened as the pandemic came upon us. Now, again, not surprising um, there was a huge increase in screen use and giving that that's how, you know, a lot of students uh, were forced to learn. So via like virtual and e-learning, um, it's how they were passing their time in terms of leisure activities. And it was definitely in terms of how they were maintaining some social contact with loved ones and friends. Um, and then, you know, stay at home orders, really trying to avoid the outdoors unless if you absolutely have to. Uh, losing out on opportunities to get active in terms of, you know, sports teams were kind of halted, opportunities to go to parks, a lot of trails uh, were also closed. And so it's not surprising uh, that we saw those types of shifts, but definitely, you know, noteworthy. Um, you mentioned languishing, and it's something that we've talked about a lot in 4-H, um, not only how it's affected us as a staff team, but also how it's affected our 4-H youth and you're right, like we're one of many organizations that's considered an extracurricular that provides, often provides that sense of movement and activity for youth. And um, our members have said that they're missing it. Um, and I can imagine that those effects, uh, you know, everything that you've described are things that we're hearing from our youth and parents as well. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's terribly disheartening just to hear about the impact that it has been having on individuals um, across the country, across the globe, really, um, that move beyond just um, the acuteness of the virus itself. Of course, there's all the atrocities that come with the actual um, you know, virus, COVID-19. Um, but when we think of all kind of these indirect um, you know, negative consequences or adverse effects that we've seen, um, you know, it, it is quite sad to see the impact that it's been having and to think about, um, you know, losing out on sports isn't just an opportunity to get active or losing out on the programming offered through um, 4-H, but it's everything else that came along with it. It was an opportunity to socialize, make friends, 
um, to work on other soft skills such as teamwork, uh, you know, leadership. So a lot of other great things that come with these types of extracurricular, we'll call them groups, um, but they're just so essential to child and youth development. Um, and, you know, I, I do feel that we have just barely scratched the surface in terms of the, the potential outlook or the outpouring on these types of uh, negative consequences that we've seen. I think there's been a lot more focus on more of the physical, but I think uh, the fallout that we're going to see, I think, from a you know, mental perspective, and even from a social health perspective, I, I think we're definitely going to see um, a lot more come out of this as we as we progress and start to find a way to emerge out of this pandemic. Yeah, I agree. And so I don't think it's it's even arguable anymore. But it's a time when when many of us are struggling to find the motivation to live a healthy life. You know, there's been jokes about the COVID-20, or there's been all of the things that we just talked about. And um, and I think a lot of people have fallen into some poor habits. Um, so in your opinion, what can 4-H families do to help model and maybe increase physical activity in their household? Yeah, so, I, you know, a couple of tips I would say right off the bat is first and foremost, um, I think we've learned anything, I think, is to really try to avoid the blame game and being too hard on yourself. Um you know, I know this word has been overused so many times in terms of, you know, we're in unprecedented times. Um, but, you know, truthfully and honestly, uh, none of us have really been, were prepared to deal with something like this or the ramifications that this type of, um, you know, societal issue was going to have on our activity behaviors. And so um, in terms of trying to support more active behaviors, first and foremost, I would say, you know, next to, you know, not blaming or being too hard on ourselves, practicing, you know, kindness, um, would secondly be to try to take the activity outdoors as often as possible. Just getting outdoors alone um, is going to ensure that you're being more active and less sedentary. We move more when we're outside, even if it's just a leisurely walk outside. Um, we're more likely to also stay active longer rather than if it was a fixed activity indoors. Just being outdoors naturally lends itself to moving more. We'll spend less time being sedentary, more time away from screens, uh, which is good, which I think a lot of us, you know, adults included, are feeling just, you know, that Zoom fatigue or just a lot of time on screens out of necessity, of course, um, but nonetheless. Um, so I think that would be one. I think a second one would be to designate screen-free zones within your house. And so what I mean by that is that, um, you know, designate, say, um, the bedrooms as well as the dinner table, just no-go zones for screens. This will ensure that it's not throwing off your sleep at night, um, as well as ensuring that, you know, at dinner time, we're, you know, engaging with those around us. Um, it's not where it's not being interrupted by screen. So we don't want to take away from that quality bonding time. And we also know that uh, we're more likely to consume unhealthier snacks and drinks when we are in front of a screen or to not necessarily be as mindful of what we're consuming or how much. Um, so again, designate some screen free zones within the house uh, would be a third one. Um, a fourth one would also be to just kind of um, you know, take this mantra of how can we make family time active time. So again, we don't want to do away with um, having quality time with our family, but thinking about, you know, how can we just integrate maybe a little bit more movement and try to think, you know, how can we creatively use our time together to get more active. Uh, for many of us during the pandemic, we have never spent so much time with our family before, um, literally, physically, 
Um, and so, you know, thinking about well, what are some ways that when we are trying to have some, you know, really dedicated family bonding time that maybe the activity we choose just ends up being active or maybe a subset of it. So I know for me growing up, um, a big one for us was movie nights, you know, every Friday, that was kind of our thing we would do as a family. And it was something we really came to look forward to as a family. Um, and then there was a shift that we still maintain movie night, but before we would do that, we would do a 15, 20 minute walk around our block. So just before we were going to come in, you know, get comfy and watch a movie that we still had this little added on part where we can get active. And so that's a great option to consider. Um, scavenger hunts are another one. You can do indoors or outdoors. Outdoors is always better, but um, if it's not possible for whatever reason, then thinking about it indoors. Um, also, depending on if you have a number of children or people within the family that are of different age groups. Another great one is that each week or every other week um, is to allow them to pick the activity. So each, you know, this week, it's going to be me next week, it's going to be my sister, Jen, and then, you know, so on and so forth. So that gives everyone a little bit more of a vested um, you know, interest in the activity, they get to choose something that they really enjoy, maybe it's something new that they've never tried before. So that gives a little bit more buying uh, for all the people uh, within the family or the group that you're trying to organize this for. Um, and it also helps, um, you know, expose all the other family members to something new that they might not have done. And, you know, it's kind of this thing that we'll, we'll all do together and everyone gets to choose and we'll just do it. And maybe you'll love it and maybe you won't. But I think that's the beauty of you know, anything kind of active is that there's so many different options out there and not everything's going to resonate with everyone. And that's okay. Uh, trial and error is perfectly acceptable and any type of movement is good movement. So I think that's another point in general, just to drive home. There's no such thing as bad physical activity. Uh, something's better than nothing and more is always better. Um, so those would be kind of my, my top tips for trying to get active. Um, and then one other final one with regards to screen use would be, there's been some research emerging, um, discussing about taking this harm reduction approach. And so what that means is that, and we typically see it in substance use uh, research or in uh, negotiating um, you know, partner safety um, with regards to um, like romantic relationships. Um, and what we mean by that is that if we know we're going to be taking in a particular behavior that might be harmful, um, but we know that the, for whatever reason people are going to do it regardless, is what steps can we take to make it um, as safe as possible? And so there's been some work about applying this to the screen use kind of realm of research is that it's not necessary it, it's not really logical to tell people to stay away from screens completely screens aren't going anywhere um, they're definitely a part of our day-to-day -day lives they're here to stay and particularly right now they have an even greater presence and you know oftentimes because of necessity um, it's how we're working learning staying connected um, and so my recommendation would be rather than trying to do a complete no screen would be how can I model the best amount or healthiest amount of screen use um, to my kids and for myself um, within reason? So again, trying to avoid that excessive screen use, uh, trying to ensure that um, it's not interfering with the connection that I have with other individuals within my household. And again, just thinking about what's that number where I can engage in the healthiest and most responsible 
um, use of screens possible um, to help mitigate some additional negative effects that we might see with screens. And so I think that's a really interesting way to think of it rather than taking this abstinence approach to screen use is thinking like realizing, okay, screens are here to stay. Uh, what steps can I take to ensure that I'm engaging with screens as healthily, uh, safely and responsibly as possible? I know when we were reading the report card, one of the statistics that really stood out for us and shocked us nonetheless was the screen statistic and how how much the youth are actually using their screens. Um, and I know it's kind of become somewhat of a joke to look at your screen time on your phone and see how much you actually use it. But as you were saying too, it's not necessarily going anywhere, especially because the lockdowns in Ontario are continuing. <laughs> Um, I think it's important to understand the benefits of it, but then uh, kind of mediate the risk. Yeah, exactly. Like I always think, you know, that whole kind of old adage, whether it rings true for some people or not, but sometimes too much of a good thing is not good. Um, and so, you know, really just trying to, you know, practice smart screen use whenever you can. Um, you know, what steps can you take to ensure that you know, it's as healthy as possible. Do you ensure like one example would be having those screen free zones that's applying harm reduction principles to screen use of like, okay, I'm going to be using screens. I know I'm going to be using them a lot today because I have tons of schoolwork or um, I have a lot of meetings as a parent, but I'm going to ensure that when my meeting's done, then I'm off the screens and that I won't check them, my email again until after dinner. Or I'm going to ensure that when we go out on our family walk while we're having dinner or when I go to bed, I'm going to plug my phone outside in the hallway rather than in my bedroom. So little things like that of just how can we ensure that we're trying to make that behavior as healthy as possible, knowing that complete elimination is not an option, um, at least for anyone over the age of, you know, two. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, screen time can have a negative effect on bedtime routines. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have any recommendations on things that uh, people could apply that maybe are outside of screen time because they think adults are probably the worst culprits of sitting on our phones before we go to bed but I was surprised to read I think it was 58% of youth are sitting on their phones before they go to bed so what would you suggest is a, a healthier or more, more beneficial bedtime routine? Yeah so when we think about sleep hygiene or building out that you know that healthy sleep routine uh, one is definitely to have the screens out of the bedroom and in fact to stop using your screen preferably at least an hour before you go to bed and if not then at least 30 minutes and the reason for that is that it delays your bedtime when you go to bed um, and the second is that the emission of the blue light also throws off your circadian rhythm which is just a fancy word for saying your body sleep wake cycle um, and so, you know, that's the reason why we want to avoid screen use. Also, depending on the content that you're looking at, it can also be quite stimulating, um, which then gets you out of that zone of trying to, you know, relax and get ready and mentally and physically prepare um, for going to bed. And so some examples are, depending on the age of your kids, definitely modeling. And as you mentioned, adults are, you know, huge in terms of bringing on screens. I can even be guilty of this too, that sometimes I'll be scrolling, looking at stuff right before I plug it in on my end table um, and go to bed. And if I see notifications or something go off and they light up the room, then I'm going to look to see what that is. So again, um, you know, having them plugged outside of your room 
getting a more traditional alarm clock is one. Um, but basically, it's really trying about developing other relaxing bedtime routines. So whether it's going to be an hour, 30 minutes before you go to bed, that's when you read, you take a warm shower or a bath, um, maybe play, you know, a small like game, board game um, is what I'm thinking. Something that just, you know, calms down. Having this routine um, is key. Um, and then also aiming for consistent bed and wake times. Um, even on the weekend. So this avoids something known as social jet lag, which um, typically, you know, we end up going to bed uh, at, a, at a certain time during the week because we have school or work the next day, but then we end up staying up way later on like a Friday and a Saturday and sleeping in on the Saturday and the Sunday. And so this ends up creating um, something that's known as, you know, social jet lag. So it kind of shifts how, how we're feeling and how rested we are. So trying to aim for those consistent bed and wake times during the week and on the weekend. Um, also ensuring that your bedroom is kind of set up as your place that you sleep. So it should be cooler. It should be free of any additional light or um, sounds. So we want it to be quiet. We want to be on the cooler side. Try to avoid a big meal before bed. Uh, some gentle stretching is okay, but trying to, or like a walk, but trying to avoid anything too high intensity as that's also going to make you feel a little bit more alert and stimulated. Um, and then also caffeinated products. So try to avoid having caffeine, whether it be through um, tea, coffee, pop, or um, chocolate, trying to avoid having that too soon before bed, ideally a couple hours, just again, um, some people are definitely more sensitive to this, but um, that also um, can throw off at what point we're able to fall asleep. Um, so those are a couple ones. And then lastly, I would say um, getting some exposure to natural sunlight and trying to get active throughout the day. That's going to ensure that you've kind of expanded um, a good amount of energy and that you're actually going to be physically tired come the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. Um, so another thought we wanted to talk about is uh, what type of things um, have participation been doing to combat non-beneficial findings that we talked about before? Um, I know that you guys are really active on social media and places like YouTube um, where you're providing activities for everyone to do at home, which is really awesome, but thought maybe you'd want to expand a little bit more on some of the other things that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one is, you know, exactly like you said, um, when the pandemic and everything came and, you know, we were always active in the sense, but as soon as the pandemic hit, like many other organizations and individuals, we really had to pivot quickly in terms of, you know, thinking about, okay, like, what are Canadians going to need now? And what is our role in helping to support, you know, the healthiest Canadians, um, you know, physically and mentally. And so, and so one way that we ended up doing this was to really ensure that we were putting out a bunch of content through all of our channels on, you know, supporting Canadians to let them know that we were there for them in terms of helping to find ways to get active. We ended up doing um, a daily, you know, 10, 15 minute fit break every single day for about a couple months anyway. And all those videos are, are available still um, on Facebook. So Participation's Facebook page. Um, and these were just quick videos that were done by our implementation specialist and personal trainer, Natalie Tolman, um, that really just walked through some 10, 15 minute uh, fitness breaks or activity breaks that anyone could do of any age, 
um, ability in a very small space. So she actually ended up doing them from her attic just to demonstrate that you don't need a lot of room um, or really any equipment uh, to be able to move a little bit. And so we ended up releasing them every day at 11 a.m. So this helped built in some, some structure and routine uh, for Canadians, again, knowing that this was going to be expected, um, it was going to be released at the same time and encouraging everyone to take, you know, that 10, 15 minutes at 11 to just do a quick little fit break and then resume uh, their schedules. So those still exist um, and we're still promoting those um, to get used. So you can certainly start at video number one and just work your way through, pick from the library, uh, pick a time that works for you. Uh, we're definitely trying to drive home this idea of being consistent. I think for many of us with the with the pandemic as we've lost this sense of routine or structure in our day-to-day -day schedules and so looking for ways that we can add some of that back in um, is super helpful not just for adults uh, but for children and youth as well so trying to pick a time that you can get active at the same time every day regardless of what when that time is whatever time works for you and that you know you're going to be most likely to stick to uh, is definitely a good option um, other ones is we've had a number of different challenges um, that we've ran through our participation app. And so again, that's another great resource. It's a free app that's available through um, Apple and for Androids. Um, and this really gives you access to not only tracking um, your activity, but you help set a goal and you figure out what your weekly goal is going to be. And then you kind of progress through the week trying to meet that. And it ends up being um, a tailored experience to each of the users, depending on your starting activity level, as well as what your goals are. Uh, you'll see prompts throughout the week that will help encourage you um, towards you know, moving throughout the week and progressing towards your goal. Um, but probably more importantly is that there's just a, a wealth of content and really quick, fun, public-facing articles um, on a number of different topics related to um, physical activity and sedentary behaviors, but more so around here are the ways to do it outdoors. Here's how physical activity helps your mental health. Or if you're looking to feel more connected, try this. So, you know, really topical. There's a search function. You can look for that through there. Um, lots of fun opportunities to win prizes. The more that you engage with the app, um, you get so many more ballots for weekly, monthly, and quarterly prizes. Um, so that's another option. And so through that, we've been ending up doing a number of different challenges. So we had our great big move, which was really getting Canadians to move all across the country, starting in uh, BC, moving through all the provinces from west to east and the territories. Uh, you get to learn a little bit more about each of the provinces and territories as you land. So after so many steps, minutes of physical activity, you'll, you know, progress into Alberta, and then you'll be up north, and you'll progress it through there. Um, but then it also gives you a way to kind of challenge against other people, you did it as a team. Um, so that's great. We had our true north challenge again, uh, trying to get active during the winter months, which tend to be a little bit harder, but you're collecting a number of um, winter apparel, like a toque, goggles, snowshoes, all different things uh, that you would need in the winter. But again, just a kind of fun activity or challenge to kind of rush or race to be the first one to kind of collect all the items. Um, and, and so those are just a, a couple of examples. We've also been putting out a number of different kind of social um, content through our different channels to try to get uh, to try to just add a little bit more engagement or see what Canadians are doing. Um, we'll have our Community Better Challenge starting um, in June. So this is kind of an opportunity for individuals or groups, communities to really get active and to help crown 
uh, Canada's most active community. So a great way for you to kind of um, get involved, get active, as well as, um, you know, compete against other people across Canada or even within your own community. Um, that and then just our blogs, a number of additional kind of creative resources, little animated videos talking about uh, the 24-hour movement guidelines, what does it mean for the various age groups, um, how to support uh, children if you're a parent, if you're an educator. Uh, so those are some additional ones that I would, you know, encourage uh, checking out. Everything's free on our website, available in French and English. Um, yeah, and again, please, like, we're really open to really having that kind of bi-directional conversation with Canadians. So we want people to engage with us. We want people to ask questions. Um, you know, this is an opportunity that we want to we want to hear from you, and want to ensure that we're continuously creating content that works for the everyday Canadian. Um, so I would say those would probably be our biggest ones. And then uh, also this summer, we'll be having our active family pledge, bringing that back for a second time. And this is just an opportunity for Canadian families to take the pledge and, you know, to make a declaration that like we, the Vanderloo family, um, are pledging to be more active as a family by doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, and, you know, there's certificates, there's resources, and this is just a great way to you, for you to kind of make that public declaration as a family that we're going to try as a unit to just, you know, move a bit more and spend a little less time being sedentary. And, you know, the beauty of a country like Canada is that families are so diverse. Um, you know, we have a mix of different um, age groups, uh, genders, abilities, our elders, uh, just a, a really nice mix and blend and what that, that means, uh, what family means to me might be different for someone else, but really it's leaning on those key sources in your life that we know um, heavily influence um, how much we move and how sedentary we are throughout the day. That's wonderful. It's amazing to hear how many resources are out there through participation. Um, and I also want to highlight that 4-H Canada actually has a partnership with participation and there's um, some resources available on their website. So we'll make sure that we post that uh, in the information for the podcast, because I think it's really exciting to see the two organizations working together. And um, I think that's also been a goal of participation, if I'm not mistaken, to, to partner with other community agencies to help encourage healthy living. Yes, for sure. I mean, it, we had a lot of fun creating these kind of co-branded materials with 4-H and it was just a great way, um, you know, to bring together the content to put across both groups. It helps widen um, participation's reach in terms of other groups we might not have typically worked with. It ensures that we're providing more tailored content. Um, and it's a great way to be able to cross promote across both of our sites and networks, um, you know, the resources that are available on both sides. And uh, for us, it's, it's key. Um, I think, you know, as a thought leader in this field, it's not necessarily our job to be the one that's always coming up with this content. Sometimes we'll create the knowledge, but other times there's already so much great, really credible knowledge that's already out there. And we just want to be one of those sources that can help promote it or draw people's attention to it. And so I think this was a really nice example um, with 4-H, where there was already so many great resources, the buy-in was there from the organization um, in terms of the great works um, that you do with the communities and the youth that you work with. Um, and this was just another opportunity that we were able to, you know, make a connection with the right people at the right time and be able to share out um, that good information. Well, we're pretty happy about it as well. So thank you for that. Um, 
I, I guess my last question for you is how can people find out more about participation? So I would say um, check out our website. So it's participaction.com. There you'll be able to see a number of our different resources from the report cards, guidelines, um, the current stats and facts with regards to physical activity and sedentary behaviors, a number of different programs we have running. Uh, we also have our betters campaign, which is really just looking at all the different ways that physical activity helps you live a better life. And I think what's kind of cheeky about it is that uh, none of the betters are actually to do with improved, you, you know, heart health or decreased risk for diabetes. And of course, those are really important um, items. But when we oftentimes talk to Canadians, when we ask about like, what do you want most? Uh, and most people say like more energy, uh, better sleep, less stress. Um, and so what we really tried to do with this campaign is look at, um, well, how can physical activity help you breathe better, help you relax better, help you friend better, parent better, um, energy better, all of those different things age better. And so um, there's quite a few of them there, about uh, 27 different ways that physical activity can, um, help you better. Um, so I would encourage you to look out there, download our app and take a look again, French and English, both for Android and, um, and Apple, check out there lots of great resources, uh, new content all the time, new challenges and just in time to before our community better challenge starts um, in June. So to check that out, um, and get involved at any time. Um, and then our social channels. So on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, lots of great resources and content and a great opportunity to, in, to engage with us. Um, so if you're looking to get in contact, I would definitely start there. That's wonderful. And I think we can say uh, that we challenge our 4-Hers to get out, get active this summer and uh, hopefully download the app and get inspired with some fun ideas and competitions because we definitely like a little bit of competition at 4-H. <laughs> That's great. Really a huge thank you for the opportunity to uh, come in here and talk about participation as well as share some of our messages um, with the 4-Hers the and, and the families and the youth that you serve and work with. And really just to let people know that we, you know, we are here. We do have a number of resources. We're always trying to create more. Um, please reach out, please engage with, with us, with our resources. And really just to kind of leave that final word is, you know, try to do something every day to get active, no matter what it is. If you can't do your typical hour, 30 minutes, no problem. 15 minutes is better than nothing. And, you know, it's all this stepwise progression. If you don't get it all this week or even in the next month, that's fine. Just slowly start slow and keep progressing. And hopefully that's going to help um, give you that motivation as you start to see some of the benefits that you get from it um, to keep pushing forward and help setting goals to, you know, help support um, optimal health. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we look forward to lots of work with participation in the future. And um, yeah, it's been wonderful chatting with you today, Lee. So have a, have a great weekend. Yes. Thank you um, to you both. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to FYI, the 4-H Ontario podcast. Make sure you join us as we learn to do by doing and for tips, tricks, and all things 4-H.